It is really nice to be with you all today. I've been getting to know um, Seth a bit and Gordy a bit recently, and I think the the word that I think of when I think of of Gordy and Seth is genuine, and that's been my experience of you all this morning as well. Is just this like beautiful, genuine community of people who've been so welcoming and kind and generous, and it's just a gift for me to get to be here with you all. Uh, I was remembering actually a few years ago, I was traveling through this area. I uh, was on a road trip with my family. We were headed out to Colorado. My wife was born and raised in Colorado, and so we were going out there to spend some time with her family. But on our way out, we wanted to, we wanted to stop in Arches National Park and do a little hiking there. My wife and kids, they had never been to Arches. I had been before, and I desperately wanted to take them on one hike there. It's the hike to Delicate Arch. Have any of you ever done that? Yeah, several of you. I mean, this is outdoor community. You know Arches National Park. And, and so you know, you know the, the beauty of that hike. You know the uniqueness of that hike. It was a 12-hour drive. We live in Southern California. So it was a 12-hour drive for us to get to Arches National Park. And on the way there, I'm telling them like, how unique Arches is. I'm telling them how unique the hike to Delicate Arch is, about how you're going to walk over this huge rock face, about how you're going to end up at this point, and you're going to see this arch that's in pictures all over the world. But the only way that you got to see it is because you walked there, because you did the work, you got there. And so I'm telling them this throughout the 12-hour drive. We finally get to Arches. It's about an hour before sunset. But it's still like 100 degrees outside because you know what it's like down there. Uh, we park the car and we put on our hiking boots. We fill up our water bottles, put on our hiking packs, and we start in on it. And what I had failed to tell them all the while while I'm building up how wonderful and great and amazing this hike is going to be, what I had failed to tell them was also how hard the hike is. Uh, I, I didn't tell them that at one point you're going to have a, about a three-foot-wide ledge that you're going to be walking across with a rock face on one side and a sheer drop-off of the other because my son is desperately like afraid of heights, and so I didn't tell them about that. I didn't tell them that the beginning of the hike is incredibly difficult over, as you're going over that first rock face because it's incredibly steep. It's about a 500-foot incline over the course of about a half a mile or so. And so it's just steep, and it's hard. And so we begin going up that, and we're doing this like hard hike in 100-degree heat an hour before sunset. And it was in the midst of that hard, difficult climb that I took. I took this, this picture with my wife. We took this selfie. So that's Allison, and that's, that's us in the midst of it. And if you zoom out, a little bit you can get a little bit of context there <laughs> that that's my son Isaac and um, to be fair to him he didn't he didn't know that he was in that picture right so that's that's not fair so so then I saw that he was in that picture and I was like well we should take one together on purpose so this is the picture he took intentionally with me <laughs> I, I totally have his permission to share all of this and he was not having it. He was not pleased. It was 100 degrees. It was a hard hike. He does not like hiking that much. It was difficult, and it was hard. And the way that I had always pictured things, actually, before I even tell you that, have you had those sorts of moments where it's like you're going through the thing that is hard, and you feel like I'm supposed to keep going, but like what you actually feel like is that? And like dad is smiling and is like, isn't this fun? And you're like, uh, uh, no. 
This is not fun. I am not enjoying this. This is not a good experience. It's sometimes we have that as we're doing a hike like that, and sometimes we have that in the midst of just the normal things of life, where it's like, this was supposed to be fun, but it's actually really hard. Raising kids was supposed to be fun, but it's actually really hard. Going to school was supposed to be fun, but it's actually really hard. Developing friendships was supposed to be fun, but it's actually really hard. Getting the job is supposed to be fun, but it's actually been really hard, and it feels a bit like this. And what my narrative in this story has always been in my mind, the way that I would tell this story was always like, yeah, it was difficult. But what you do is you push through the difficulties. You're experiencing this thing that feels like it's your limit, but you push through your limit because on the other side, there's something beautiful. Because on the other side, like this is what we would get. We would, we would get to a delicate arch if we could show that next picture. Like that's, that's at the other side, right? Like, and so that was always my narrative is you push through the hard thing to get to this to do that thing. And I remember, I remember it was early on in the shutdowns in 2020. And a church had called me and they'd asked me if I would record a sermon for their online worship services. And so I set everything up, set up the camera in my home. And, and I was going to tell this story. I was going to show these pictures. And I was going to talk about we face these difficult things. And what we have to do is we have to push through. And it's hard, but there's something beautiful on the other side. And the only reason that you get to experience that is if you push through and you do the hard thing. And I got to, I got to the point where I was going to say those things as I was recording the sermon. And the words could not come out of my mouth. Because a few weeks earlier, the world had shut down. And my wife and I did not know where our income was going to come from. For the first times in our lives, we had filed for unemployment. I'd gone to the grocery store and I was doing our grocery shopping. And maybe you experienced this as well, that uh, I would go with the grocery list and I'd only come home with half the things because the shelves were just empty. We were like trading things with neighbors because we would have some things that they needed and they would have things. And we we're like, how do we get out of this? Does this thing ever get better? Does this thing ever get fixed? Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember like April 2020, what it felt like, the uncertainty, the unknown? And so here I was, here I was giving this like talk where I was like, it's going to be good on the other side if you push through. And I was like, no, but what if it's not good on the other side? What if it's hard and it just keeps being hard. What if, what, if, what if I push through and it actually isn't beautiful on the other side? I push through and it's actually more difficult on the other side because that's sometimes the reality, isn't it? Sometimes the reality is that we do the hard thing and it doesn't resolve itself well. Sometimes the reality is that we try to push through and we are just more tired than we were before. That story is good and it works until it doesn't. I had this realization. I had this realization that I have this desire to push and to achieve and to push through things, but that that wasn't working anymore. And I have been trying to make sense of what to do with that. And there's this passage, there's this passage that has been haunting me about this for a while now. It comes out of the book of Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. And now we don't know, we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we do know she sure was smart. <laughs> I thought that this was a church where I could say that. Here's, here's what the author of Hebrews writes, Hebrews 2, 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, and essentially the author of Hebrews is talking about our shared humanity. 
the experience of humanity, he too, Christ too, Jesus too, shared in their humanity, became human, lived amongst us, taking on flesh and blood so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, th- this, this text isn't talking about physical slavery. It's talking about something much more existential than that. People who are trapped and oppressed and are missing the good, free, beautiful life that God has intended for them. And the reason that we end up in that place, the reason that we end up trapped there is the author of Hebrews says it's because of our fear of death. And one of the things that I began to realize is that at the root of my desire to push past limits, at the root of my desire to achieve and to do more and more, at the root of the way that I was always trying to arrange the pieces of my life to control the way that they would work out, to control the things that were hard so that it would be the thing that I wanted on the other side, to control my kid's life, my work life, the way I wanted things to be, at the root of me always trying to get the desired outcome, this is what I want at the other side, at the root of me always pushing hard through the hard thing, doing the hard things, all so that it would turn out the way that I wanted it to at the other end, at the root of me not accepting that there were limits in my life and always trying to push past those limits, at the root of that is my inability to accept my own mortality. It's my inability to recognize my own finitude. It's my inability to grasp my own limits constantly trying to arrange my life in a way where I don't have to be confronted with my own finitude, where I can always escape what my limits are and I can always push past what my limits are. I'm constantly trying to do that. But a part of what the power of Jesus' death does, according to the author of Hebrews, is that it breaks the stranglehold of death which keeps us bound in slavery by our fear of death. What keeps me stuck in these cycles, these cycles of having to push and to do more and to achieve and to not accept my limits and to pretend like I don't have finitude, it's all being driven from a fear of death. Now, now really early on in the in Christian story, it, the ancient Christians knew that there's some sort of link, there's some sort of interplay between sin and death. That in some sort of ways, sin and death work together, and they were trying to make sense of it. Now, sin is one of those words that, like, I don't know what your background and experience is, but it has a bit of baggage with it, doesn't it? Uh, I, I love what one New Testament scholar says sin is, and T. Wright says that sin is simply living less than a fully human life. That when we live a less than fully human life, like that, that's what it is. So it has all this baggage and stuff that maybe we're carrying around with it. But what if it's actually like we're missing the good, free, true, and beautiful life that God has intended for us and created us? And so there's some sort of interplay. The early Christians understood. There's some sort of interplay between missing that kind of life, living less than that kind of life, and death. Somehow they work together. You find this, you find this throughout the pages of the New Testament. You find the Apostle Paul writing about this, trying to make sense of this. You find this in the early Christian writings after the New Testament, the early church mothers and fathers trying to make sense of this. Somehow sin and death, they are linked, they interplay. How do they interplay? How do you make sense of that? Well, what begins to emerge out of the church are two streams of thinking about this. 
Two different ways that the church understands how sin and death interplay with each other. One is the way the Western church has understood it, and the other is the way that the Eastern church has understood it. Now, if you have um, had church experience for any length of time in America, you have probably been influenced by the Western church's idea. And the Western church's idea is essentially this, and maybe you've heard this before, that death enters into the world because of sin. That there was no death in the world until sin enters into the world, and what sin does is sin breaks open the way things are supposed to be, and that then initiates death into the world. And if there was no sin, there would be no death, and so we need to eradicate sin in order to get rid of death. And that's the way that the Western church has understood this. And we can find lots of passages of Scripture to make sense of it that way. But the Eastern Church has lots of passages of Scripture to understand it in another way, which is actually the exact opposite way, which is this, that it's because of death that sin is produced, that it's out of our fear of death that we live less than fully human lives, that we make choices to try and elongate our lives. We make choices to try and have some, make some sort of difference with our lives. We make choices. We end up living in patterns and in situations to somehow escape my own finitude. It's out of the inability to accept that I am finite and that I'm moving towards some sort of like this existence, that there's something, that there's something about this that, that from dust you have come, and to dust you shall return, that there's something about that reality that I don't want to own and grasp, and so what that ends up doing is it ends up working itself out in my life in a way where I live a less than fully human life, and so the reason that I move away from living good, true, beautiful lives is because I can't accept my own finitude, or as the author of Hebrews would say, it's because of my fear of death. It's the fear that I might not matter, and so I'm going to do all these things to try to make sure that I matter. The fear that I can't control everything and that at some point I'm going to actually ultimately lose control, and so I'm going to try and hold on to control as much as possible. It's the fear that I might not live on, the fear that, there, that I'm not going to have meaning and purpose, and so I try to manufacture meaning and purpose. The fear that there's something inevitable that I can't change, and it's this fear, the fear that I have limits. And in a culture like ours where we have the resources and the technology to not have to, for most of us, face physical death on a daily basis, that for most of us we're not waking up every day wondering, like, will I be able to make it through today or not? Will I have enough food? Will I survive today? That our fear of physical death might not be a daily concern in the same way that it is in other parts of the world. It's what happens in a culture like ours is our fear of death takes on a much more existential layer instead. In fact, here's how one, one psychologist talks about it. His name's Richard Beck. He's professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University. And, and in his book, Slavery of Death, where he begins to unpack the existential psychology that is connected to this passage in Hebrews, here's, here's what he writes. He says, in affluent societies like ours, where self-preservation is not a pressing concern, so where we're not just trying to make sure that we make it through the day, he says, what we begin to do is we begin to worry about living a meaningful and significant life in the face of death. More specifically, in American society, this anxiety tends to manifest in the American success ethos. That is, that while we might not fear death on a day-to-day -day basis, we do fear being a failure in the eyes of others or ourselves. But failure here, he says, is simply a neurotic manifestation of death anxiety which is just simply this. 
It's the fear that at the moment of death, I won't have accomplished enough to have made a permanent and lasting difference in the world. I fear that I'm going to get to the end and I won't have done something significant enough. And so what I do is I live in these perpetual cycles of pushing past my limits, of trying to achieve more, accomplish more, succeed more, do more. My goal becomes self-preservation. And what ends up happening is that what the author of Hebrews writes becomes true in my life, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. They were missing the good, true, beautiful life because they felt like they had to evade this thing that was coming at them. And so our quest to live lives of significance and achievement are being driven by the slavery of the fear of death. It's being driven by what's going to outlive me? What's going to outlive my life? What's going to give my life meaning and significance? And so it drives us to try to defy our limits and to try to pretend like we don't have limits. It drives us to do more than what we actually have the ability to do. It drives me to try and fix things and to take responsibility for things that are actually outside of my control. It it, it drives me to try and achieve more and more and more. It drives me to work harder and harder and harder because I've never done enough. I never have enough. I have never become enough. I've never achieved enough. And I don't know about you, but the way that my life ends up working itself out is that I'm constantly trying to find ways to fight against my own finitude. And the result of that is it produces in me an anxiety. And it produces a restlessness and an unsettledness. And I'm tired and I can't be fully present in the moment. And I can't see the beauty of what's right in front of me because I have to keep pushing and trying and doing more and more. And frankly, what ends up happening is that I miss the grace that's being offered to me at the point of my limits because I want to push past my limits and I want to do more than that. And I want to achieve more than that. And I wonder, I wonder what all I have been missing Because not only can I not accept my limits, I can't even bring myself to embrace that they are there. And I I can't even see them as something that has the potential for goodness and beauty in my life. And I I wonder what would happen if instead of always trying to push past my limits, I wonder what would happen instead of always feeling like I have got to charge up and move past them, I wonder what would happen if instead of always trying to do more and achieve more, I wonder what would happen if instead I saw that my limit is actually a gift and that there's something beautiful and significant that I can only experience at the point of my limits when I recognize I can't do more than this. This is all that I have. This is all that I can do. I I think of the opening line of of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is obviously Jesus' most famous sermon. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's his longest recorded sermon. And at the beginning of that sermon, he has these lines that he opens up with. We've often called them the Beatitudes. It's the blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. And in the very first one of those, the way that Eugene Peterson, who translated the message paraphrase, the way that Eugene Peterson translates that very first Beatitude, he writes it this way. He says, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and God's rule. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed when you realize your limit. 
You're blessed when you realize you can't push past it and you don't try and push past it. You're blessed when you're like, this is all I have to give. This is all that I can do. This is my own finitude and this is my own limitation. And if, as the author of Hebrews says, that Christ breaks the power that holds me in slavery to my fear of death, then perhaps there is a gift in the way that I encounter and experience God when I bump up against my limits. And perhaps there's an encounter of God that I can only have in that place when I'm bumping up against my limits. And perhaps there's an experience of grace that I only get to have when I bump up against my limits. And so rather than trying to push past them, rather than trying to manipulate them in order to always get the outcome I want, rather than trying to always escape my own finitude, what if instead there is a gift that is found in the recognition of my limits? and in the acceptance of my finitude. And there is a gift in the grace of God that can only be found when I am in that place. Finding God in the place where I can acknowledge what I can't do, what I can't fix, what I can't control, what I can't power up and just sort of push through. Maybe there is a gift in the acceptance of my finitude. From dust you have come, and to dust you shall return that the one who came and shared in our humanity with us is the one who breaks the stranglehold of death so that we no longer have to live as slaves to our fear of death. We no longer have to be bound up in this place where we are trying to prove that we can outlive, push past, live beyond what our limits and finitude actually is. And perhaps, perhaps this is one of the things um, that you all need in the same way that I do in this season. What I need in this season is to receive the gift of my limits. Not needing to constantly push past them, not needing to try to be something I'm not, someone that I'm not, not needing to control everything, not needing to fix everything. And perhaps there's a unique grace and unique gift that will come when we bump up against our limits and we don't push past them. We just sit there, and we'll feel it. I think we'll feel it in our soul, and we'll feel it in our spirit. And we'll begin to respect our limits, and we'll begin to experience the grace of God in new and fresh ways at that point of our limits. And, and so here's, here's what I want to invite you to do, if you wouldn't mind um, just bowing your heads and closing your eyes for a moment. And I, I just want to ask you to take a moment with God here. And I wonder for you, where it is that you are coming up against your limits? Where is there a space in your life where you're trying to control what's outside of your control? Where is there something that you're trying to fix? Something that's not yours to fix? Where is there something that you're trying hard to push past something and trying to charge up? Where is the thing that is creating exhaustion within you? The thing that is creating a tiredness within you? A thing that is producing anxiety within you? Where is that thing? Would you just take a moment and just acknowledge what, where is that right now for you? Is it a relationship? Is it a specific situation? Is it a responsibility that you have? Something at work, something at home, something with your kids, something with your parents, something with a community that you're a part of? And as you think about that space where you're trying to push past your limits, 
I want to invite you to do an ancient practice in the church that's called a breath prayer. And a breath prayer became this way that Christians for centuries have prayed very simple prayers. These simple prayers that you pray as you breathe in and breathe out, this way of being able to, like Paul would talk about praying constantly, this one of the ways that prayer works itself into the rhythm of our lives is through these breath prayers. And so I wonder if we could just simply do a breath prayer as we recognize that place that we're trying to push past our limits, that place that place where we're trying to deny our own finitude. And maybe we could pray this, that as you breathe in, you just simply say, God. And as you breathe out, meet me in my limits. And so as you sit and breathe, breathe in, God. Breathe out, meet me in my limits. Breathe in, God. Breathe out. Meet me in my limits. God, meet me in my limits. God, meet me in my limits. May you, may you receive the gift of your limits. May you realize that you can't always fix it. You can't always create the outcomes that you want. And may you see that not as a problem, but as an invitation to receive the grace of God. May God's grace and peace be with you. Amen. We're going to get to move into a time of communion today. And communion is an opportunity where we remember... um, the significance of the work of Jesus on the cross, but it's not just an act of remembering. If it was something that we remembered, we would just sit and think about it. It's something that we physically participate in by taking a piece of bread that represents his body and a cup that represents his blood, both of which were given for us on the cross. And as we take those, we enter into um, the experience of partnership with the divine that the divine, that though he, cons- though he was God, Philippians 2 says, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, emptying himself, that he would give of himself fully. And that God, the God of the universe, the God who would create all things, the source of all things, would choose to come and would choose to live with limits, would choose to live in a way where he would be tired and where he would be hungry would choose to live in a way where he could even die a death on a cross. And so as we embrace our own limits, as we recognize our own finitude, we do that in following in the path of Jesus, who would go to the cross and up on the cross would for you and for I would take the sins of the world and that those sins would be buried in the ground and that he would one day rise from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death so that those things no longer have a hold on us anymore, so that no longer does the fear of death have to keep us trapped in slavery. No longer does the fear of death have to keep us in these damaging cycles. No longer does the fear of death have to cause us to live a less than fully human life. And so as we, as we sing the song, I want to invite you to, to come up and to grab um, a cracker and to grab a cup 
and to take those as you remember, reflect on, and participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus.